0: Okay, so I'm finally doing it. Doing it meaning recording another podcast. Um, and believe it or not, due to the glorious inconsistency of my wonderful job, I am recording this podcast in Michigan. Um, so of course we're still Raleigh-affiliated, Raleigh-based, and uh, I still live in Raleigh, but uh, I will be here periodically. Um So the podcast will come to you from Michigan periodically. Um, That's the reason why it's been a while um, since we last recorded a podcast. But we're here now, um, and we should probably get started with the show. It's a good one. See you on the other side. Hey, it's in a book. I am your host, Lawrence Rouse. And even though we are a Raleigh based podcast, I am coming to you this fortnight from Michigan, Flint, Michigan, to be exact. Uh, My job has brought me here. And so here I am. And I have decided that I won't let that stop us from putting out a podcast. It's been quite a while since I published a podcast. Uh, my apologies to anyone who was uh, sitting on the edge of their seat waiting for that. Um, so, I'd like to start this particular episode, um, which will feature an interview with my, uh, my wonderful next-door neighbor, Phil, uh, who was kind enough to sit down and give me an interview. Uh, that, was, that was quite some time ago. Going on three weeks ago now. Um, I promised him I'd get it up, but uh, it, it's just taken me a little while with work to, to put everything together. But I should have it done here in the next few hours, and I'll get it up on the web. At any rate, as I was saying, I would like to start this episode with a reading, which is a bit of a change, but it's a a very short little section from the Screw Tape Letters from C.S. Lewis, Uh, and I'll give you a little background as to why we're starting with this little segment. Um, It's been really difficult. Um to to deal with not being able to put the podcast out every fortnight um i i just have a crazy hectic schedule right now though, with all the things that i have to do and uh it, it's led to me even considering not doing the podcast anymore now i mainly do it for uh, my own enjoyment i think uh you know occasionally someone might uh, be induced to listen uh, through my uh uh, exhortations that they do so but um, at any rate I finally decided not to do that because I really love the podcast and I really love putting it out there and who knows maybe one day uh, we'll have the sort of listenership that I imagined when the podcast first sprang into my mind which brings us to the reading it's from the Scoot Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis and he just describes so wonderfully that that transition from From dream to doing uh, that we all experience whenever we start something new and whenever we come to the sort of crisis that I had reached about the podcast. So I thought I would share it with you and uh, it goes like this. Um, Keeping in mind he's talking about... um, Okay, so (laughs) to give you even more background, The Screwtape Letters is is a a wonderful novel. It's written in letters and missives. Um, One demon, an eldest, demon uh, elder demon named screw tape is giving advice to his nephew wormwood with regard to how to capture this uh, english gentleman's soul uh for for satan for the devil uh, you know so this is some advice he gives him after his his patient so to speak has become a christian okay so here we go um and like I said, it perfectly describes sort of what has been going on with me with regard to the podcast. So Screwtape says, work hard then on the disappointment or anticlimax which is certainly coming to the patient during his first few weeks as a churchman. The enemy allows this disappointment to occur on the threshold of every human endeavor. It occurs when the boy who has been enchanted in the nursery by stories from the Odyssey, Buckles down to really learning Greek. It occurs when lovers have gotten married and begin the real task of learning to live together. In every department of life, it marks the transition from dreaming aspiration to laborious doing. Okay, so I think it's it's pretty clear uh, what Lewis is referring to and. Uh, I know that every single one of us has experienced that, and I I just really love the way he captures it there. So uh, without further ado, we're going to head right into the show. Like I said, we have a great interview with Phil. Um, Then we have a wonderful uh, reading, also recommended by Phil, of Edgar Allan Poe's short story, Message in a Bottle. So uh, stick around. And uh, we'll see you after the break. It's in a book. All right. So our interview tonight is with Phil, my next door neighbor. And I hope Phil is going to forgive me for that. I cannot remember his last name, for melfi.
1: Last name. melfi m-e-l-f-i
0: you, you know I, uh, I don't know if you noticed i snuck into the kitchen and grabbed my phone uh and i looked on there and i was uh, certain that i had entered your last name uh, I numbers long long ago now you have it no excuses <laughs> in the future yeah yeah so as, as soon as we are done i'm going to make sure I, I get it in there but um phil uh i talked to him about the podcast uh, i think probably almost a year ago now yeah and uh and i told him he was kind of my East in the whole interview because he he's literally I'm, i can like turn my head and, and look at his house so yeah
1: and you, you sit up higher here you could throw a stone and hit my house i'd have a, i'd have to throw uphill to hit yours
0: yeah yeah so well I'm, i won't do that ever <laughs> 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 but uh but i finally got him in front of the microphone and so uh we're going to interview him tonight and, uh, and talk about books here a little bit. Um, I think Kristen uh, sent you a list earlier of the five questions we would discuss. I have those questions. Did she send me? you the surprise question?
1: Mm, no.
0: No? Okay. So <laughs> it's really, I'm, I'm really probably a jerk for doing it. But the surprise question is that I always ask uh, the interviewee to tell us a little bit about him or herself, and uh, in their their Raleigh journey, you know, whether they were born and raised here or came here through some other circumstance. So if you yeah. don't mind, why don't you, uh, you give us that story? I'm that
1: originally from upstate New York, okay. in the frozen frozen north, the Syracuse area, and uh, been here 20 years. Came down here uh, when I was young and newly married and no kids, and just decided to come down here and take a chance and and liked it. Right, so.
0: right. A lot of people sure. do. Yeah. It, it's likable. Yeah. yeah. So, 20 years ago, that would have been, what? Uh, it's
1: actually more like 23 years. I came down in like 91. 91? Yeah. yeah
0: that's a year before I got here. I got here in 1992, NC State, uh, freshman, yeah.
1: 1992. So, um, but, yeah. So you really liked it, though, huh? Uh, I did. I mean, it was kind of hard to leave. Well, once you have kids, uh, and, uh, you know, they get settled in, in here, and, you know. Yeah. Yeah, changes everything. It does. It does. I have no family here, though. That's that's so uh, you know my family's kind of all up there, scattered around the country, really. Right, but, right. But uh, so that that's kind of a, a downer, not having any family close by. But, I'm sure. I'm
0: sure.
1: But uh, but you know, uh, I'm here now. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I made my own family. Right. Right. I mean. Yeah.
0: So so that's kind of how it's supposed to work. That's right. Is. You, your your kids can always uh, take care of you at this point, right? That's right. Who hits the fan, so to speak. Yep.
1: So it goes around.
0: Yeah, yeah. So now, I think you went to NC State, no?
1: I did. I started there in probably 90, uh, 95 or so. And
0: okay. Okay. What did you study?
1: Graduate degree, yeah, uh, business. Business? Okay, yeah. nice. Nice. Yeah. You know, just went, got kind of, well, so it was, uh, operations management, marketing, and statistics was interesting to me. The operations management connection in the, in the, in that, uh, statistics area. So, um, uh, but in the end, with, uh, one child and, and another one on the way, I just, I just hurried up and, and I finished up. It was just a business degree, uh, right? Right. So uh, yeah, so it's an MBA basically. Yeah. Nice, yeah.
0: Nice. Yeah, get out there and, uh, and get some some health insurance, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I
1: was working the whole time too. Oh, okay. Yeah, wow, wow, the nice. company was paying for it, so I was going to school nights. I worked from 7 a.m. to 5:30, four days a week. Right. And uh, I'd go to school from seven to nine. I'd get home exhausted, you know, and uh, um, get up the next day and do it all again. Yeah. And go to school, like, all day Friday. Right, right. Yeah, as much as I could, you know, about a half day, really. Right, right. But, uh, yeah, it was good when it was over.
0: I'm sure, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well,
0: congrats. uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly impressive. That's uh,
1: it's the whirlwind trip through, through, through college where, where you know through grad school where you, you don't really see anything you just go straight to class take the class and go home right right
0: yeah, yeah. a lot of my colleagues are kind of going through that right now you know yeah. we, um you know the, the work day we start depending on uh, on how much you have to do with the students you know anywhere from 6 30 to 7 you know, we usually don't finish any earlier than 5, and a lot of them walk right out of our, our training area into a classroom. Yeah. So, and they're there until 9, so.
1: There was no late-night partying. No, no. <laughs> you, uh,
0: whole different animal. Yeah. Uh, you know, the typical college experience, I'm sure.
1: And when I didn't have uh, class or work, I, was, I had child care duties. Right, <laughs> right, right, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Got to give mom a break sometime. It was
1: like that for a long time. Yeah yeah
0: sweet sweet Mm -hmm. well i guess i'll let you off the hook with with, uh with that much background unless there's anything else you 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 know would particularly like to share with us
1: Uh, i think that pretty much does it i don't feel like i've been let off the hook yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think i spilled the beans here (laughs)
0: okay I'll, i'll go with that and certainly the surprise element was there
1: yeah yeah. I don't know. Unless there's something some something else that's relevant to the to the rest of the interview. I, I don't want to bore people with my life story.
0: Okay. Okay. Well. Um all right, well, we'll we'll head right into the interview then. So um I believe the first question in it in uh forgive me if I'm a little rusty with the questions because I I've, I've just been so busy with everything else. I haven't been doing a lot of podcasting lately. But as far as I can remember, the first question is how do you find the time to read?
1: Well, I read a lot all day long as, you know, part of my job constantly. I'm reading research, you know, uh, reports and, and stock reports currently. And in my previous job, I was constantly writing and reading, you know, producing, uh, uh, uh um, compliance documentation and, and so on. And, and, uh, um, so, uh, that's a lot of reading. I'm sure, I'm but sure. it's but it's reading that I had to do. It was my vocation, and it is my vocation. Um, uh, so, I steal moments to read in the morning. I'll read like National Geographic magazine or or the Economist or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the evenings, bedtime.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. I'll, I'll read. Uh, uh, a novel or something right
0: right yeah that's that's pretty much my deal with the way it works for me these days uh, with the exception of the mornings I'm, I'm trying to learn a little Chinese right now so wow yeah will right. come hand, in like
1: handy in Flint, Michigan will it?
0: yeah yeah <laughs> we'll see we'll uh, see um,
1: you don't lose you don't use it, you're going to lose it you hang out at Chinese restaurants that's what you got to do yes
0: that's what I'm going to do I'm going yeah. to plenty of uh, dim sum I guess yeah so
1: Thank you, for Young. Young. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Sweet. Well, um, the next question then would be, um, tell us a little bit about how you decide what to read. Uh, when, when you do get the time to steal some uh, some personal reading.
1: Well, it would seem people are constantly shoving books into my hand, <laughs> you know. Well, I, I did receive a a, uh, a gift of a Kobo reader that had 100 classics on it.
0: right. Right.
1: So I'm burning through those I'm and sure. that's fascinating. And sometimes I'll do an offshoot, you know, like off of Moby Dick or Edgar Allan Poe, you know, so Herman Melville and Edgar Allan Poe, I'll, I'll read something and it intrigues me. So I'll start pulling that thread and look for more stuff. So I'll start downloading books. Right. So I'll download books that are out of print. They're, they're, they cost me like a dollar, or sometimes they're free.
0: Right, Gutenberg Project has a lot of those books for, yes. for free. Yes, exactly. Nice.
1: So so um uh so that's part of it. Um I uh I enjoy reading Sherlock Holmes type mysteries and things like that. You know, uh, um and uh and i listen to books on tape when i'm walking the dog or riding <laughs> yeah. in the car or something right right. for long trips yeah well, i remember uh,
0: when i first moved into the neighborhood I, I would often see you walking with your with your headset on yeah and, and uh, i remember um, i can't remember even the exact circumstances but when i when i found out that you were actually listening to books i remember you know thinking it would be pretty nice to talk to you at some point and see what you were listening to so yeah you you listened to uh, robert jordan's uh will of time series like yes. book, right Yep. yeah so are you done
1: no, no. i'll never be done <laughs> i mean this thing goes on forever it, oh
0: my gosh it's like 14, i give up you know, before i finish
1: <laughs> i switch yeah. to other things and you know but uh yeah but that's one yeah yeah so
0: yeah well that's that's good stuff yeah um I wish I had listened to it as opposed to reading it at this point. Uh, well, I I don't necessarily wish I listened to it as opposed to reading it, but certainly, reading it presented its own struggles. I, you finished it. Wait. You read the whole it. thing. Oh the, my god! Uh, yeah, a, the last book was published uh, either last year or the year before, um, and I I was very very pleased with the way it turns out. So I, I would. Uh, I'll hang in there. Strongly, uh, Strongly urge that you hang in there. It, yeah. It, it's pretty impressive, especially when you consider that, as uh, as anyone who's who's heard me talk about this knows, and, and I'm sure a lot of readers out there know themselves, Robert Jordan died yeah. before he could finish the series, and, and his uh, protege, right, his protege, Brian, Brian uh, not Brian Brandon Sanderson,
1: with his wife's sort of right, she kind of vetted him, him and yeah. and
0: uh, you know and approved of of this uh, particular. Arthur and, and he did an incredible job of finishing yeah. it off um it's yeah I was very well pleased with uh with the way it all turned out so yeah so you have to let me know when, uh, when you get to I'll the have end to do that.
1: it's actually as, as far as books on tape go it's kind of a good deal in terms of bang for the buck because each book is like 30 hours long hmm and and I have a an Audible subscription, so it's the same price as I pay for a ten hour long book. Right,
0: right, yeah. So you, you get more volume for the same. Yeah, yeah, same dollar. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I can imagine. It, are, are they pretty suspenseful to listen to? I mean, I, I just remember being enthralled as, as a reader. I, I once read one of those books in less than twenty four hours. I, I uh, walked to the bookstore, their Foundation's Edge uh, on Hillsborough Street. I, I bet you remember that, being an NC State student. Wow, um, it was part of the electric company mall. Yeah, uh, and and I walked in there at about noon on a on a Thursday, I think it was, and around two p.m. Friday, I was done uh, with the book. Wow. Yeah, I, of course I didn't go to class that day, and and I didn't sleep that night. Um, both not very good decisions, but. Um,
1: huh. Well, I was looking to see if I had one already started that we could just kind of listen to part of it, but. Uh, if I start from the beginning, it'll it'll we'll have to listen to this preamble and all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Everything yeah. takes a long time. And you'd
0: lose your place, right?
1: Well, actually, uh, I already apparently already did. I don't know what I did, but... Uh, well, yeah, I, I think what I did was I finished that whole book, and I've got another one ah, cool. ready to read, but... Right. Yeah.
0: Well, next time. Yeah. All right, so the third question, and, and obviously, uh, you know, with, with you talking about audiobooks here and, and your, uh, your Kobo, um, you, you probably have an interesting take on this, but how, how do you feel about books as objects, uh, um, you know, paper versus digital? How, do you like to keep a bunch of books in your house? Like, uh, what, What's your take on that? Well, I have
1: a bunch of books in the house. Uh, uh, whether I like to keep them... I don't know, they take up a lot of space, I know that. They do. Um, it's yeah. kind of cool to, to see them and have them be able to pull it down. And and I kind of like it, but on the other hand, the dust is, is a pain in the neck. and It's something to have to manage and clean. I like the comp- compact nature of being able to read things electronically. Right, right. Yeah. So if you... But I don't like... The searchability aspect—it's a lot easier to leaf through a book and go back yes, and reread yes. something.
0: It's counterintuitive too, you know, because you would think with the electronic—yeah, you
1: know—they don't make it easy for you to flip no, back.
0: No, they don't. They don't. And, and I, I'm sure someone will eventually come up with some. I, I, it's, I'm sure it will have to be some sort of conceptual solution to that, you know, because obviously, digitally speaking, there's no there's no reason why you know, physically, digitally, you should be able to go anywhere in book. And, and in fact, you can if you use the search tool or whatever. But I'm sure that, that someone eventually, I think we should
1: work on this together. Maybe we and should. And develop a, a sort of three-dimensional book that actually looks like a book on screen and that you can
0: flip pages. Right. Yeah, that, that might not be a bad idea. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, there's no there's no marriage of, of the concept of, of knowing where you were at... at in a book, I mean, I've been able to years later pick up a book, and you can physically measure where you were when you came across yeah. a certain uh, uh, passage. You yeah, know, I, I did it just recently with, with you know talking with a buddy of mine, and I could just open the book and flip it right to where I yep. had read that because I guess I was emotionally attached to that passage, but it doesn't work that way digitally.
1: You lose the sort of spatial connection. There's no, you know, yeah, no, no
0: proprioception I guess. Yeah,
1: you can't can't feel one with the book when it's sort of all you your can see iPhone. is one page at a time yeah 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 so
0: all right well that's, let me know when that million dollars is uh, in your, your bank account yeah <laughs> so when the patent is filed <laughs> yeah
1: we'll reveal it
0: so but it sounds like you, you lean more toward the digital just uh just... I
1: do just for convenience of you know I, I can you know take this wherever I I, I want it's thin. it's it's easy to, to, to I mean I don't read off my iPhone I I really want something that's very paper-like.
0: Right, Um, right. And the Kobo, I think I've seen one of those. It's pretty good. Yeah, I don't want something that's backlit. Yeah,
1: exactly. I need something that's easy on the eyes. But I I also have a, a Kindle. I think it's a Kindle. What's the other one? Nook. Nook. Um, Actually, I have a Nook.
0: Yeah, I, I really enjoyed my Nook. Uh, I, we had two. We had a color one and a black and white one. Uh, I, I definitely prefer the black and white one. That's, the that's what I have. I, I had a color.
1: I had a color kin- uh, uh, Kindle Fire someone gave to me. Right. And I looked at it for a little while. Like, no. Right. And right. I, I, well I, I, I want too, a reader, right? and this is like a toy.
0: Right, right. Yeah, it's it's kind of like an iPad, but you yeah. know, forgive me, Amazon, that is good. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, moving right along, um, we'll arrive at the fourth question. Um, if you could see Phil, you'd see him uh, opening that, or not opening, but taking a peek at that text message. I'm looking at the, the list of <laughs> questions. This is a toughie. Yeah, it, it is. Um, and so I think this is a question that I uh, think, Got me when I quote unquote interviewed myself, and it gets everything. Yeah. What, what's your favorite book of all time? Um, and this is really just an excuse to talk about
1: it. I'm going to have to say, you know, in terms of a book that captivated me and that I read over and over and over again, it would have to be Tolkien's The Hobbit and the really? Trilogy. You know, I, I read it when I was in high school. I think it was in high school. Maybe junior, yeah, I think it was high school, and I just was fascinated. I thought it was so well written. Right, he conceived right. of this other world and, and poured it onto the page with such consistency. He 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 layered it and weaved this story together, and uh, um, continued to uh, you know. Uh, uh, weave that story for right. for four books.
0: Yeah, a long time. Yeah. So yeah, it it never ceases to amaze me, and and this is you know from the point of view, of I I occasionally pick up my pen and, and attempt to write something, and in the past I've I've written you know like some fairly substantial things, at least in terms of volume, mm-hmm. um, but. You know, when someone really strikes on to something like that, you know, Robert Jordan, um, yeah. um, Tolkien or, yeah. or uh, you know, uh, Trollope, like the, the whole social constructs of, of his novels, it, it's, it's just amazing to me that a person can, can have something so big inside their head and, and you know push it out in, in that thing. I think
1: that they'd go crazy if they didn't
0: I guess they would I guess they would they know, have to. They, yeah, I guess they have to get it out. So
1: with all the great works of literature out there in the world I, you know this is the one that I think sort of uh, affected me the most in terms of uh, um, it was so enjoyable mm-hmm. I just <laughs> enjoyed reading it it was it was you know just kind of fun and interesting Right uh, not a textbook you know I, I you know not something work related or school related i just i read it because i really really enjoyed it And right. you know for, for the hundreds and hundreds of books that i've read that, that those are the ones that yeah. i chose to read again and again
0: wow well i'm glad you can narrow it down most people myself included uh you know i just sat there and and hummed trying to figure out something well
1: are there any books that you've read again and again
0: yeah um <sighs> Sometimes, you know, not always, I don't I don't think I can be as proud of, of, of you know, literarily <laughs> speaking. Uh, it Playboy. Was by uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I can't tell you how many times I've read that book. Now, I, I guess one I could be proud of, uh, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And, okay, and he was yeah. a, a contemporary and, and I believe a, a very good friend. Oh, yeah, California. they hung, I had beers they were, together and so. stuff. Yeah, very, very good buddies. Yeah. Um, but I have read Screwtape Letters probably, you know, 10 times I've given, I should read that again (laughs) because I haven't read it in so long. That's another book. And, And not in terms only of, of that. It was inside Lewis's head, but in terms of the, the accuracy and the, the just, you know, having your finger on the pulse of the way the human heart works. Um, the screw tape letters is just amazing to me. the, the the techniques, I guess, and and uh,
1: he's writing about the devil. He's he? writing about
0: the devil. Screw tape is, is a, a senior devil. He's a he's a, a tempter, a senior tempter. You know, he's kind of moved up into uh, into management, and he's coaching uh, a junior tempter who happens to be his right. nephew, and they're trying to get this uh, this World War Two era era young man into hell. Uh-huh. Um, you know, through through Screw advice to his his nephew, but within that advice is just like this this compendium of, of of you know the human heart that Lewis was able to to really describe.
1: Now it was a fairly small book, right? It is. It is.
0: It's a very small book. Uh, um, which it makes it. Even it tells more, the whole story yeah, and, and in a hundred so pages concise. or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. To the point that, you know, as you read it, sometimes you're, you're just like, you recognize yourself in, in almost every single uh, word, every single description. I, I, yeah. I love that book. Um,
1: so another, another thing that, that I had to kind of look up the, the actual title, I remember the, the author that, that kind of moved me was, was uh, Thomas Paine's uh, Common Sense. Common Sense? Yeah. Yeah. Just fascinating. I was like, wow. And, and to him it was propaganda he right. literally was just writing this this thing you know that he was just trying to write something that would be published and and and, and you know sell newspapers
0: right right and you know i, I started reading common sense so I, w- I was an engineering major and, and this is why i didn't you know finish it in C S A because i i got sidetracked by my uh you know literary, literary just issues. Just, oh, but, yeah. yeah my, my literary. Uh, um Interest kind of sidetracked me, but I I remember starting Common Sense and and chemistry kind of got in the way. I I had to pass chemistry that semester, yeah. (laughs) so I I never finished it. But uh, I remember it being interesting. I should probably get it from Gutenberg and uh, and give it another go. That's a pretty short read. Yeah. 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 So Thomas Paine. Yeah. 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 Did he do any government work in terms of like a, a, any of our official documents
1: I think <clears throat> you know it, when you read some of what, he, what he wrote I mean he was a sort of a propagandist I guess you might say you know uh, his it was contemporary of like Benjamin Franklin and, and those guys so right. the stuff he wrote was getting into um, you know uh, I think official uh, form in some way or another right right it's else.
0: just his influence on, on the national conversation it was extremely influential yeah. right right yeah yeah because yeah. I, I i can't remember it certainly doesn't come immediately to mind any of the you know the declaration of independence or, or the, the yeah. articles of confederation or i don't think it's articles of confederation maybe it is i think but, what he was doing is he was
1: echoing the sentiments of his uh sort of audience, who's and whoever his sponsors were right he's saying yeah yeah this is a good one this is what they want to hear right and and he but he said it so well right right and uh yeah yeah
0: so sweet well i'll have to yeah. i'll have to look up some thomas Paine here soon um it's huh? worth it worth a look yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely I'm, I'm getting ready to have a little free time uh you know through my job where i won't be as uh bound as I have been for, for a little while, so maybe I can check it out.
1: Over a uh, uh, plate of dim sum.
0: Over a plate of dim sum. <laughs> so,
1: you can read the Chinese version. Right. Kill two right. birds with stone.
0: Yeah, well, I think their version is like a little red book. That yeah, had to read. I think so. so um, but we'll see how that, that whole thing turns out. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're at the last question now. Which is? Which this is an easy one. This one. Drum roll, please. Uh, drum roll, please. Uh, what are you reading right now?
1: Um. Right now, I am actually reading uh, 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 Sherlock Holmes series. It's it's a you know a series of short stories, basically. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, and. Uh, yeah (coughs) probably because it came free on (laughs) my kobo
0: my friend um his his name is will badger um i've I've talked about him here on the podcast before wrote a short sherlock holmes short story uh wherein the the hero was sherlock holmes brother now did he make up Sherlock Holmes' brother, my friend, or is, no, is he, no, he actually... featured? It seems like his name started with an M or something like that. My, so Mycroft. Mycroft, yeah. Okay, so he is prominently featured yeah. in in
1: the yeah in, the, in, in one of the stories. Um, Holmes fakes his own death. He hmm. actually um, was uh, wrestling with his arch enemy, um, uh, Doctor moriarty Uh over on 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 these cliffs over a deep waterfall this chasm and uh he somehow you know he manages to knock moriarty down in the falls and he he falls a little way, lands on a shelf somehow he engineers this right everybody thinks he's dead Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and he wants to keep it that way because he knows that Moreri has uh, accomplices. In fact, while he's hanging there, some guy is like throwing boulders at him because he he sees him down there. Right. And uh, he thinks he sees him down there. Anyway, uh, so he lets everyone think that he's dead, and the only one who knows he's alive is his brother. Mycroft. Mycroft. And he tells Mycroft, keep my suite the way it is. Don't touch anything. Um... I need some money and I'm going to Africa to hide out for a while and right. stuff like that. Yeah.
0: So Moriarty was, was killed by the vault. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yep. But
1: yeah. But he had some henchmen who were trying to kill Holmes. Right.
0: Right. Out for revenge. Yeah. It was a really good story. Uh, and, and Mycroft who I think, I don't know if, if this is the case in, in, uh, gosh, I always forget who real Sherlock, song, Sherlock Holmes. Um, uh, the author um the author
1: of sherlock Gosh, holmes i was yeah. i was trying to remember that myself
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. so yeah, for, uh,
0: at any rate uh, I'm, I'm gonna keep
1: talking while you look that up he uh, he oh arthur arthur, arthur Conan Con, yeah sir arthur I, yeah. I started oh. to start type the word author and it reminded me all <laughs> oh, okay. right all yeah.
0: right um but uh I don't know if he portrayed Mycroft as, as being even more intelligent uh, than, than Sherlock, but my friend, you know, kind of used that device. Ah, um, I yeah. think Mycroft in, in the process of, of you know, kind of batting Sherlock away because he's busy with something else yeah. solves a case for Sherlock in the, in the short story that my friend wrote.
1: Um, Seems uh, counterintuitive to the whole other kind of indul- indul- uh, uh persona of Holmes being this crazy genius you know, right. His, his brother seems more the sensible type. Okay. Okay. He's very good at what he does, but and he's he's a high official in the in the police. He's, he's a detective of some sort of zone right. For maybe works for MI five or something. I don't know. Yeah. But um. Uh, there was something on, on TV just recently. Just caught a glimpse of it where they were talking about. uh, uh How. Sherlock Holmes back in the 1800s really was the father of modern modern forensics. Really? That the methods that Arthur Conan Doyle describes him using weren't around then. Right. Nobody studied, you know, chemistry. Yeah.
0: You know, led to the fact that. You know, it's pretty hard to get away with the crime these days, huh?
1: It's kind of, kind of like uh, Asimov and, and other classic science fiction writers envisioning what space travel and all this stuff and right. and, and hitting it right. Yeah, you know, yeah. In a lot of ways, yeah.
0: Well, let's let's hope uh, nobody ever gets a time machine and they'll go back and uh, take Serkotanjo out. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I'm sure he'd be one on a long list of targets. So. so. All right. Well, I think we're, I think we're at the end, Phil. Cool. Yeah. Um, Enjoyed it. Yeah. So did I. So did I. And it, you know, I'm, I'm going to point out here, uh, Phil, Phil came over and, uh, and we had some cake and, and, uh, some chicken and some delicious beer and, and, uh, some wine that he brought over. And he talked about books the entire time, uh, we were, we were in, in vibing and, and enjoying the, uh, the cake. And I, I kind of wished that I had set up the microphone so that <laughs> I could just record everything that you were talking about while we were, while we were sitting around eating. Uh, so I may have to, to look into that technique in the future. The, I'll do a 10-second recap. The impromptu interview.
1: Read the Herman Melville TP book, T-I-P-E-E, and um, the uh, Edgar Allan Poe uh, story about his uh, stowing away on a, on a whaling boat. Right.
0: right I right. can't
1: remember the name of that one, but both of those books, excellent reads. I mean, they're, they're short stories, but fa- fabulous.
0: Well, you know, I may just, uh, there's a reading selection for uh, for each podcast, so I, I, I may just find one of those. And, oh, and I would a, be the, either the one would be a great choice. Okay, sweet, yeah, sweet, yeah. Cool. As soon as it's done, I'll, I'll send you a text and uh, and you can download it from iTunes and uh, and give it a listen.
1: Cool. I mean, th- I appreciate that. It'd be good. I yeah. enjoy that. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. Awesome. Well,
0: good night. I, good I've night, had, sir. Like, two beers now. That's <laughs> like a, that's good thing you fed beer. me all that
1: chicken and cake, or we'd have gone into a third beer and uh, I'd probably <laughs> yeah, fall and,
0: and I'd be under the table. So. I'll yeah, break. I have to walk home. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just right there.
1: I know it's only hundred yards away, but. <laughs>
0: All right. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Message found in a bottle. From the essential tales and poems of Edgar Allan Poe. Of my country and of my family, I have little to say. Ill usage and length of years have driven me from the one and estranged me from the other. Hereditary wealth afforded me an education of no common order, and a contemplative turn of mind enabled me to methodize the stores which early study very diligently garnered up. Beyond all things, the works of the German moralists gave me great delight, not from any ill-advised admiration of their eloquent madness, but from the ease with which my habits of rigid thought enabled me to detect their falsities. I have often been reproached with the aridity of my genius. A deficiency of imagination has been imputed to me as a crime, and the peronism of my opinions has at all times rendered me notorious. Indeed, a strong relish for physical philosophy, has, I fear, tinctured my mind with the very common error of this age. I mean the habit of referring occurrences, even the least susceptible of such reference to the principles of that science. Upon the whole, no person could be less liable than myself to be led away from the severe precincts of truth by the ignis fatui of superstition. I have thought proper to premise thus much, lest the incredible tale I have to tell should be considered rather the raving of a crude imagination than the positive experience of a mind to which the reveries of fancy have been a dead letter and a nullity. After many years spent in foreign travel, I sailed in the year 18- from the port of Batvia, in the rich and populous island of Java, on a voyage to the archipelago of the Sunda Islands. I went as a passenger, having no other inducement than a kind of nervous restlessness which haunted me as a fiend. Our vessel was a beautiful ship of about 400 tons, copper-fastened, and built at Bombay of Malabar Teak. She was freighted with cotton wool and oil from the Lakadive Islands. We had also on board core, jaggery, ghee, coconuts, and a few cases of opium. The stowage was clumsily done, and the vessel consequently crank. We got under way with the mere breath of wind, and for many days stood along the eastern coast of Java, without any other incident to beguile the monotony of our course than the occasional meeting with some of the small grabs of the archipelago to which we were bound. One evening, leaning over the taffrail, I observed a very singular, isolated cloud to the northwest it was remarkable as well for its color as from its being the first we had seen since our departure from batavia i watched it attentively until sunset when it spread all at once to the eastward and westward girding in the horizon with a narrow strip of vapor and looking like a long line of low beach My notice was soon afterwards attracted by the dusky red appearance of the moon and the peculiar character of the sea. The latter was undergoing a rapid change, and the water seemed more than usually transparent. Although I could distinctly see the bottom, yet heaving the lead, I found the ship in fifteen fathoms. The air now became intolerably hot and was loaded with spiral exhalations similar to those arriving from heated iron. As night came on, every breath of wind died away, and more entire calm it is impossible to conceive. The flame of a candle burned upon the poop without the least perceptible motion, and a long hair held between the finger and thumb hung without the possibility of detecting a vibration. However, as the captain said he could perceive no indication of danger, and as we were drifting in bodily to shore, he ordered the sails to be furled, and the anchor let go. No watch was set, and the crew, consisting principally of Malays, stretched themselves deliberately upon deck. I went below, not without a full presentiment of evil. Indeed, Every appearance warranted me in apprehending a samoon. I told the captain my fears, but he paid no attention to what I said, and left me without deigning to give a reply. My uneasiness, however, prevented me from sleeping, and at about midnight I went upon deck. As I placed my foot upon the upper step of the companion ladder, I was startled by a loud humming noise, like that occasioned by the rapid revolution of a mill-wheel, and before I could ascertain its meaning, I found the ship quivering to its center. In the next instant, a wilderness of foam hurled us upon our beam-ends, and rushing over us fore and aft, swept the entire decks from stem to stern. The extreme fury of the blast proved in a great measure the salvation of the ship. Although completely waterlogged, yet, as her masts had gone by the board, she rose after a minute heavily from the sea and, staggering a while beneath the immense pressure of the tempest, finally righted. By what miracle I escaped destruction, it is impossible to say. Stunned by the shock of the water, I found myself, upon recovery, jammed in between the stern post and rudder. With great difficulty, I gained my feet, and looking around, was at first struck with the idea of our being among breakers. So terrific, beyond the wildest imagination, was the whirlpool of mountainous and foaming ocean within which we were engulfed. After a while, I heard the voice of an old Swede who had shipped with us at the moment of our leaving port. I hallooed to him with all my strength and presently he came reeling aft. We soon discovered that we were the sole survivors of the accident. All on deck, with the exception of ourselves, had been swept overboard. The captain and mates must have perished as they slept, for the cabins were deluged with water. Without assistance, we could expect to do little for the security of the ship, and our exertions were at first paralyzed by the momentary expectation of going down. Our cable had of course parted like pack thread at the first breath of the hurricane or we should have been instantaneously overwhelmed. We scudded with frightful velocity before the sea and the water made clear breaches over us. The framework of our stern was shattered excessively and in almost every respect we had received considerable injury. But to our extreme joy we found the pumps unchoked, and that we had made no great shifting of our ballast. The main fury of the blast had already blown over, and we apprehended little danger from the violence of the wind. But we looked forward to its total cessation with dismay, well believing that in our shattered condition we should inevitably perish in the tremendous swell which would ensue but this very just apprehension seemed by no means likely to be soon verified. For five entire days and nights, during which our only subsistence was a small quantity of jaggery, procured with great difficulty from the forecastle, the Hulk flew at a rate-defying computation before rapidly succeeding flaws of wind, which without equaling the first violence of the Samoon were still more terrific than any tempest I had before encountered. Our course for the first four days was with trifling variations south-east and by south, and we must have run down the coast of New Holland. On the fifth day the cold became extreme, although the wind had hauled round a point more to the northward. The sun arose with a sickly yellow luster and clamoured a very few degrees above the horizon emitting no decisive light. There were no clouds apparent, yet the wind was upon the increase and blew with a fitful and unsteady fury. About noon, as nearly as we could guess, our attention was again arrested by the appearance of the sun. It gave out no light properly so called, but a dull and sullen glow without reflection, as if all its rays were polarized. Just before sinking within the turgid sea, its central fires suddenly went out, as if hurriedly extinguished by some unaccountable power. It was a dim, silver-like rim alone as it rushed across the unfathomable ocean. We waited in vain for the arrival of the sixth day. That day to me has not arrived. To the Swede, never did arrive. Thenceforward, We were enshrouded in patchy darkness, so that we could not have seen an object at twenty paces from the ship. Eternal night continued to envelop us, all unrelieved by the phosphoric sea brilliancy to which we had been accustomed in the tropics. We observed, too, that although the tempest continued to rage with unabated violence, there was no longer to be discovered the usual appearance of surf or foam which had hitherto attended us all around were horror and thick bloom and a black sweltering desert of ebony superstitious terror crept by degrees into the spirit of the old swede and my own soul was wrapped up in silent wonder we neglected all care of the ship as worse than useless and securing ourselves as well as possible to the stump of the mizzen mast looked out bitterly into the world of ocean. We had no means of calculating time, nor could we form any guess of our situation. We were, however, well aware of having made farther to the southward than any previous navigators, and felt great amazement at not meeting with the usual impediments of ice. In the meantime, every moment threatened to be our last, every mountainous billow, hurried to overwhelm us. The swell surpassed anything I had imagined possible, and that we were not instantly buried is a miracle. My companion spoke of the lightness of our cargo and reminded me of the excellent qualities of our ship, but I could not help feeling the utter hopelessness of hope itself and prepared myself gloomily for that death which I thought nothing could defer beyond an hour. As with every knot of way the ship made, the swelling of the black stupendous seas became more dismally appalling. At times we gasped for breath at an elevation beyond the albatross. At times became dizzy with the velocity of our descent into some watery hell where the air grew stagnant and no sound disturbed the slumbers of the kraken. We were at the bottom of one of these abysses when a quick scream from my companion broke fearfully upon the night. See, "'See, cried he, shrieking in my ears. "'Almighty God, see, see!' As he spoke, I became aware of a dull, sullen glare of red light which streamed down the sides of the vast chasm where we lay and threw a fitful brilliancy upon our deck. Casting my eyes upward, I beheld a spectacle, which froze the current of my blood. At a terrific height directly above us and upon the very verge of the precipitous descent hovered a gigantic ship of perhaps four thousand tons. Although upreared upon the summit of a wave more than a hundred times her own altitude, her apparent size still exceeded that of any ship of the line or East Indiaman in existence. Her huge hull was of a deep, dingy black, unrelieved by any of the customary carvings of a ship. A single row of brass cannon protruded from her open ports and dashed from their polished surfaces the fires of innumerable battle lanterns, which swung to and fro about her rigging. But what mainly inspired us with horror and astonishment was that she bore up under a press of sail in the very teeth of that supernatural sea and of that ungovernable hurricane. When we first discovered her, her bowels were alone to be seen as she rose slowly from the dim and horrible gulf beyond her. For a moment of intense terror, she paused upon the gaudy pinnacle as if in contemplation of her own sublimity, then trembled and tottered and came down. At this instant I know not what sudden self-possession came over my spirit. Staggering as far aft as I could, I awaited fearlessly the ruin that was to overwhelm. Our own vessel was at length ceasing from her struggles and sinking with her head to the sea. The shock of the descending mass struck her consequently in that portion of her frame which was already under water and the inevitable result was to hurl me with irresistible violence— "'upon the rigging of the stranger. "'As I fell, the ship hove in stays and went about, "'and to the confusion ensuing I attributed my escape "'from the notice of the crew. "'With little difficulty I made my way, "'unperceived, to the main hatchway, "'which was partially open, "'and soon found an opportunity of secreting myself in the hold. "'Why I did so I can hardly tell.' An indefinite sense of awe, which at first sight of the navigators of the ship had taken hold of my mind, was perhaps the principle of my concealment. I was unwilling to trust myself with the race of people who had offered, to the cursory glance I had taken, so many points of vague novelty, doubt, and apprehension. I therefore thought proper to contrive a hiding place in the hold. This I did— by removing a small portion of the shifting boards, in such a manner as to afford me a convenient retreat between the huge timbers of the ship. I had scarcely completed my work when a footstep in the hold forced me to make use of it. A man passed by my place of concealment with a feeble and unsteady gait. I could not see his face, but had an opportunity of observing his general appearance. There was about it an evidence of great age and infirmity. His knees tottered beneath a load of years, and his entire frame quivered under the burden. He muttered to himself in a low, broken tone some words of a language which I could not understand, and groped in a corner among a pile of singular-looking instruments and decayed charts of navigation. His manner was a wild mixture of the peevishness of second childhood and the solemn dignity of a god. He at length went on deck, and I saw him no more. A feeling for which I have no name has taken possession of my soul, a sensation which will admit of no analysis, to which the lessons of bygone time are inadequate, and for which I fear futurity itself will offer me no key. To a mind constituted like my own, The latter consideration is an evil. I shall never, I know that I shall never be satisfied with regard to the nature of my conceptions. Yet it is not wonderful that these conceptions are indefinite since they have their origin in sources so utterly novel. A new sense, a new entity is added to my soul. It is long since I first trod the deck of this terrible ship and the rays of my destiny are, I think, gathering to a focus. Incomprehensible men, wrapped up in meditations of a kind which I cannot divine, they pass me by unnoticed. Concealment is utter folly on my part, for the people will not see. It was but just now that I passed directly before the eyes of the mate. It was no long while ago that I ventured into the captain's own private cabin and took thence the materials with which I write and have written. I shall from time to time continue this journal. It is true that I may not find an opportunity of transmitting it to the world, but I will not fail to make the endeavor. At the last moment I will enclose the message in a bottle, and cast it within the sea. An incident has occurred which has given me new room for meditation. Are such things the operation of ungoverned chance? I had ventured upon deck and thrown myself down without attracting any notice among a pile of rattling stuff and old sails in the bottom of the yawl. While musing upon the singularity of my fate, I unwittingly daubed with a tar brush the edges of a neatly folded studding sail which lay near me on a barrel. The studding sail is now bent upon the ship and the thoughtless touches of the brush are spread out into the word discovery. I have made many observations lately upon the structure of the vessel. Although well-armed, she is not, I think, a ship of war. Her rigging, build, and general equipment all negative a supposition of this kind. What she is not, I can easily perceive. What she is, I fear it is impossible to say. I know not how it is, but in scrutinizing her strange model and singular cast of spars, her huge size and overgrown suits of canvas, her severely simple bow and antiquated stern, there will occasionally flash across my mind a sensation of familiar things, and there is always mixed up with such indistinct shadows of recollection and unaccountable memory of old foreign chronicles, and ages long ago. I have been looking at the timbers of the ship. She is built of a material to which I am a stranger. There is a particular character about the wood which strikes me as rendering it unfit for the purpose to which it has been applied. I mean its extreme porousness, considered independently of the worm-eaten condition which is a consequence of navigation in these seas and apart from the rottenness attendant upon age. It will appear perhaps an observation somewhat over-curious, but this wood would have every characteristic of Spanish oak if Spanish oak were distended by any unnatural means. In reading the above sentence, a curious apothecum of an old weather-beaten Dutch navigator comes full upon my recollection. It is as sure, he was wont to say, when any doubt was entertained of his veracity, as sure as there is a sea where the ship itself will grow in bulk like the living body of the seamen. About an hour ago I made bold to thrust myself among a group of the crew. They paid me no manner of attention, and although I stood in the very midst of them all, seemed utterly unconscious of my presence." Like the one I had at first seen in the hold, they all bore about them the marks of a hoary old age. Their knees trembled with infirmity. Their shoulders were bent double with decrepitude. Their shriveled skins rattled in the wind. Their voices were low, tremulous, and broken. Their eyes glistened with the room of years, and their gray hair streamed terribly in the tempest. Around them, on every part of the deck, lay scattered mathematical instruments of the most quaint and obsolete construction. I mentioned some time ago the bending of a studding sail. From that period the ship, being thrown dead off the wind, has continued her terrific course due south, with every rag of canvas packed upon her, from her trucks to her lower studding sail booms and rolling every moment her top-gallant yard arms into the most appalling hell of water which it can enter into the mind of man to imagine. I have just left the deck where I find it impossible to maintain a footing, although the crew seems to experience little inconvenience. It appears to me a miracle of miracles that our enormous bulk is not swallowed up at once and forever. We are surely doomed to hover continually upon the brink of eternity, without taking a final plunge into the abyss. From billows a thousand times more stupendous than any I have ever seen, we glide away with the facility of the arrowy seagull, and the colossal waters rear their heads above us like demons of the deep, but like demons confined to simple threats and forbidden to destroy. I am led to attribute these frequent escapes to the only natural cause which can account for such effect. I must suppose the ship to be within the influence of some strong current or impetuous undertow. I have seen the captain face to face and in his own cabin, but as I expected he paid me no attention. Although in his appearance there is, to a casual observer, nothing which might bespeak him more or less than a man, still a feeling of irrepressible reverence and awe mingled with the sensation of wonder with which I regarded him. In stature, he is nearly my own height, that is, about five feet eight inches. He is of a well-knit and compact frame of body, neither robust nor remarkably otherwise. But it is the singularity of the expression which reigns upon the face, It is the intense, the wonderful, the thrilling evidence of old age, so utter, so extreme, which excites within my spirit a sense, a sentiment ineffable. His forehead, although little wrinkled, seems to bear upon it the stamp of a myriad of years. His gray hairs are records of the past, and his grayer eyes are sibyls of the future. The cabin floor was thickly strewn with strange iron-clasped folios and moldering instruments of science, and obsolete, long-forgotten charts. His head was bowed down upon his hands, and he pored with a fiery, unquiet eye over a paper which I took to be a commission, and which at all events bore the signature of a monarch. He muttered to himself, as did the first seaman whom I saw in the hold, some low, peevish syllables of a foreign tongue, and although the speaker was close at my elbow, his voice seemed to reach my ears from the distance of a mile. The ship and all in it are imbued with the spirit of eld. The crew glide to and fro like the ghosts of buried centuries. Their eyes have an eager and uneasy meaning, and when their fingers fall athwart my path, In the wild glare of the battle-lanterns, I feel as I have never felt before, although I have been all my life a dealer in antiquities and have imbibed the shadows of fallen columns at Baalbek and Tadmor and Persopolis until my very soul has become a ruin. When I look around me, I feel ashamed of my former apprehensions. If I trembled at the blast which has hitherto attended us, Shall I not stand aghast at a warring of wind and ocean, to convey any idea of which the words tornado and simoon are trivial and ineffective? All in the immediate vicinity of the ship is the blackness of eternal night, and a chaos of foamless water, but about a league on either side of us may be seen indistinctly and at intervals stupendous ramparts of ice, towering away into the desolate sky and looking like the walls of the universe. As I imagine, the ship proves to be in a current, if that appellation can properly be given to a tide which, howling and shrieking by the white ice, thunders on to the southward with the velocity like the headlong dashing of a cataract. To conceive the horror of my sensations is, I presume, utterly impossible, yet a curiosity to penetrate the mysteries of these awful regions predominates even over my despair and will reconcile me to the most hideous aspect of death. It is evident that we are hurrying onwards to some exciting knowledge, some never-to-be-imparted secret, whose attainment is destruction. Perhaps this current leads us to the Southern Pole itself, it must be confessed that a supposition apparently so wild has every probability in its favor. The crew pace the deck with unquiet and tremulous step, but there is upon their countenances an expression more of the eagerness of hope than of the apathy of despair. In the meantime, the wind still in our poop, and as we carry a crowd of canvas, the ship is at times lifted bodily from out the sea. Oh horror upon horror, the ice opens suddenly to the right and to the left, and we are whirling dizzily in immense concentric circles round and round the borders of a gigantic amphitheater, the summit of whose walls is lost in the darkness and the distance. But little time will be left to ponder upon my destiny. The circles rapidly grow small. We are plunging madly within the grasp of the whirlpool, and amid a roaring and bellowing and thundering of ocean and of tempest, the ship is quivering, oh god, and going down. (laughs) And so comes to a close another episode of It's In A Book. Thank you very much for returning to listen after such a long hiatus. We will uh, be back next month. I'm going to spend the rest of this month uh, updating the website and probably switching it to a new format. Now, I know you've heard that before, but I'm really going to do it this time. Um, it's part of my promise to try and get more people listening this year and we're coming up on half the year. And I really haven't been able to be very active with regard to that promise. So I'm going to be proactive and redo the website and uh, and try and direct some traffic there. So um, we didn't talk much about current events, but I have to mention that I finally read uh, Anna Karenina. I uh, attempted to read it at one point earlier in my life and uh, it was kind of a, a stumbling block for me that I was going through a similar episode as one of the characters. Um, when I attempted to read the book, but I really regret now that I, I let such a long time pass without reading it because obviously uh, if you've read it before, if you've talked about it with anyone, it's really brilliant and, uh, and it's an, an incredible book and I'm glad I read it. Uh, right now I'm reading The Interestings, um, a recommendation of my wife, and uh, it's starting out pretty good, so I guess that takes care of current events. Uh, We will see you again around the 1st of June, uh, somewhere during that first week of June. We will be back here. So uh, we'll uh, we'll see you then. It's in a book. Bye-bye.